Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a CastBox original produced in partnership with our friends at Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and all of your favorite podcasts are there right for the downloading. Sacred Symbols is available wherever you get your podcasts, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think it's pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts. And supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my intrepid co-host intrepid intrepid co-host isn't that a bad thing Chris no intrepid? to be intrepid is is good to be intrepid is like you're a go-getter oh, i'm thinking insipid. you're striving no you're not you're not insipid <laughs> you could maybe you are insipid as well who knows chris we're recording this episode a day late or a day later than we usually do as we noted we were going to do last week on episode 41 i believe it was and we're doing that because i just recorded a bunch of episodes of knockback my retro podcast with my brother but it was very serendipitous that we recorded a day late because there is so much PlayStation news. First yeah, it worked party out news. super well. Sony news. Yeah, it worked out great. So this was not intentional, but I'm going to let people think that don't listen to the podcast that perhaps it was intentional or perhaps you think that it was intentional, but it wasn't intentional because we're going to talk about PlayStation 5 today. We're going to talk about a bunch of first party news and some other announcements. Also inquiries from the audience, of course. But before we do all of that, let me remind you that this show is supported on Patreon at patreon.com slash And if you want early ad-free access to every episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, as well as my other shows, please consider showing us some support over there. You can also support us and submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show. That's the only way you can interact with our show. Also, lots of exclusive podcasts and other perks. So if you like what we do, you have a few bucks to spare, please consider supporting us. For the cost of a new AAA PlayStation 4 game a year, so about $60 a year, you can get early ad-free access to everything I do. 
Isn't that fun? That's a wild pitch. It's a wild pitch. Now, in baseball, that would be bad. A wild pitch would be that the ball was behind the batter or oh, right, but, yeah. you know, behind the catcher. But this is a wild pitch in a different kind of way. Now, Chris, how have you been? I haven't seen you in eight days. I've been doing pretty good. I hired an editor, so things are going pretty good. I get, I get to work on stuff while things are getting worked on. It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a great feeling. You can be creative. We're doing similar things over here on Collins Last Stand now, so it's very exciting. I'm looking forward to being more creative as well. I want to give a quick shout out. We don't usually do, you know, shout outs to things that are going on around the world unless something tragic has happened. I have to say something just a quick to our friends in France. Anyone that listens to us over in France with the Notre Dame kind of fire. Very sad situation. I was sad all day yesterday watching yeah, was, that happen. It was super depressing. I mean, fortunately enough, it didn't burn down. Right. I thought it would because that, that fire was way out of control. Right. But uh, fortunately, most of you know the main, a lot of the art was saved and a lot of uh, the building is intact. So that's fortunate kind of silver lining to it. That's a positive. You know, when a thir- when I think they were saying the roof and maybe part of the spire had wood from the 13th century in it or whatever. Yeah, that's so lost. It's really sad. It's just sad. Like, I, I'm not even so sad. Maybe this is weird, but I just like old things. It's not even that it's like Notre Dame. It could literally be like some sort of anonymous Roman you know, ruins or whatever. And I'd still be like, man, that sucks. Because ISIS does the same shit in the Middle East. They like to straight up destroy like museums and stuff like that. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And the footage of them, like, I'm like, it's heartbreaking. No, so, it's super sad. It's all that history is gone. Right, exactly. So I just wanted to say that we're thinking about you over in France. Though I don't know how many French listeners we have. I don't know that the French like me very much. You guys can let me know. Chris, we have a bunch of other corrections to get through. Before we jump into this meaty episode that we've concocted for our Alrighty. audience today, I wanted to kind of consult back with the audience about some of the things we said last week that they might have wanted to chime in on in our correction segment. Andres Avalos wrote into us on Patreon. He said, hey, C-squared, in regards to last week's discussion about accessibility, I think Insomniac's Spider-Man deserved a shout out with their inclusion of options I had never seen before, like QTE autocomplete, change button taps to holds, and option to skip puzzles, which I think are extremely fair and, in my opinion, don't impact the game's difficulty. Additionally, they had big subtitles and subtitle background as options as well, which is just so basic. I see no reason why every game shouldn't include those. Keep up the great work, guys. So this is just another... Kind of perspective that I think is really valuable for those that didn't listen to last week's episode. Chris and I had a discussion surrounding the discussion, surrounding the idea in the industry that there needs to be more inclusive video games that are games too hard. Should every game be beatable? Is every game for everyone? A lot of people have something to say about this. Yeah, I'd imagine it's a pretty contentious topic. It is. But why? Like, why is it so contentious? Because the honest answer, and I think I said this last week, too, is that I'm kind of against this idea of every game being for everyone. I am for the idea of video games being for everyone. Like, I really can't think of a reason aside from, like, the, the, the sanctity of the product or dev time and money that, like, there shouldn't be an easy mode in Sekiro, you know? So that's kind of the dichotomy. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I am a gatekeeper. Eh, who knows? You seem like one. I'm like with your more, angry eyebrows and I, your rigid I do have ang- spine. Do I have angry eyebrows? I have big eyebrows, bushy eyebrows. A little bit. I'm like a Gamorrean guard. I'm the Gamorrean guard of the video game industry. <laughs> I know what that is. For all you Star Wars nerds out there. Jason Gardner wrote into us and said, hello, Colin and Chris. I wanted to write in regarding your negative opinions on GameStop. I live in a rural area where the only other place in town to purchase a game or accessories is Walmart. Believe me when I say you haven't had a bad game purchasing experience until you've had to, had to wait on someone to unlock those goddamn game cabinets. Maybe the key to GameStop survival is focusing on keeping stores in rural areas open since major municipalities seem to have bandwidth available for downloading and streaming games. My local store is usually busy and I generally enjoy going in and looking around. Have a good week, gentlemen. So there's that different perspective as well. Someone else had written in too saying that they still do midnight launches occasionally and stuff like that. So they're still I'm sure they do it. Yeah, like it's obviously a way different environment now because you don't have to go to the store to get it. Right. Like like in, in 2007 and 2008. That was a big deal because if you wanted to play the game first, you had to go. You had to go get it. 
and you had to stand in line wrapped around a mall for God knows how many hours. Yeah, there were no options, in other words. Yeah, there were no options. But yeah, that's no, that's that's valid. I, I think I'm happy to hear that there are some GameStops that are super busy. I just go to the one like around me and it's super depressing how completely not full it is. Yeah, mine's the same way. Mine down the street. I go to this one on Lincoln in Santa Monica and I rarely I've only been there a few times, but I've rarely seen anyone else in there. Except for, of course, the story I told you about how a guy was selling like, every <laughs> Assassin's Creed game for a dollar each. What a sad situation. He's that right, was. though, about the Walmart thing. That That, that is frustrating. It is annoying. And, you know, speaking of things behind glass, I went to Vons yesterday, which is a supermarket chain here in California and probably elsewhere. Now the liquor's behind these fucking cabinets. How am I supposed to buy my liquor? Isn't the liquor always behind the cabinet? Not in that Vons. Not in that Vons. So it was pretty convenient. They still had the little thing on top so you couldn't steal it. That's a shame. Really stymieing my alcoholism. Austin Smith wrote into us and said, Colin, Chris, quick point about last week's episode. I wanted to point out that you guys brushed over Borderlands the pre-sequel. As a huge Borderlands fan, this game doesn't get the respect it deserves. It is at least as good, if not better than Borderlands 2, and believe it has the best story and DLC of all the games. If you have an itch to play Borderlands before 3 comes out, I highly recommend you give this game another chance. So that wasn't uh, Gearbox, right? No, that was 2K Australia, as far as I remember. So we've got like a kind of like a Fallout New Vegas kind of scenario here. Right. And what was interesting about it, too, is I believe it came out in 2014. So it came out a year after PS4, but it was on PS3. So I think that was also the reason yeah. why a lot of people didn't play it. At first, they did port it eventually. But I think by that point, it was over for them. Yeah. Also, I've just never played it. Like, I have no negative opinions on it. I played it briefly. Right. I didn't play it enough to be able to say, like, I played it. You know what I mean? Sure. Same thing with me. I played it for like an hour, an hour and a half on the Handsome Collection just because, like, you know, I'm curious. I want to play a shooter. It just didn't feel right. There's like different mechanics, like these jumpy, floaty kind of things. I'm like, this is not. Yeah, because you're on the moon, right? Yeah, you're, so- you're somewhere. I don't even remember what it was. I don't. That's a game where I just have a. I, I'm not literally listening to anything anyone's saying at any time. Brandon Hofer finally wrote into us here and said, hello, cool, Chris and confident Colin. I was listening to last week's episode and I wanted to chime in about something related to Division 2. Colin, I hear what you are saying about skill trees in Division 2. I complained about the skill trees in Division 2. He says, once you hit level 30, you transition to trying to build up your gear score rather than your overall character level. You also have three specializations to choose from. Each specialization has a skill tree, so don't worry. There is more in store for you once you hit the level cap. So I'm excited to hear that. That's cool. I didn't know that. And for Chris, he says, Chris, you said that someone told you that the turret was pretty useless towards the end game of Division 2. I have to say, in my experience, that is false. The turret and drone are the two main special weapons that I use, especially against tank characters. If played specifically, or strategically, rather, they can both work really well. I went through the final stronghold, and it definitely helped us get through it. So he basically wanted to tell us that we were wrong about everything. (laughs) Yeah, right. But I appreciate you writing in. As we touched on those topics we talked about, I'm kind of over-talking about the Division 2 and Borderlands for the time being. Yeah. But I did want to... Consult with the audience one more time about that. Yeah, for sure. Now, Chris, it's time to talk about what we're playing, but we really can't. Yeah. We're both playing Days Gone. I'm really early in the game. Chris has played it a lot more than I have because Dagan was here and I didn't want to just start it while he was here. So yeah. I only started it last night and we can't talk about it. We can't say anything about it. When When's the embargo up? The embargo is May 25th. Or May 20, I think it's May 24th. Here, I put it on Twitter. I'll look Wait, real quick. Wait, it's May 20. Wait, when's the game coming out? I think it's, I'm sorry, not May. April 24th. <laughs> I was about to say. Sorry, I'm, I'm, so I'm, not the, I'm not the sar- smartest man in the world. <laughs> Where did I put this? Where did I put this? I have it in here I think you're somewhere. Right. That, sounds, that sounds. I think it's April. Here it is. Yeah, April 25th at 5.01 a.m. Pacific time. Okay. Is the embargo. So the thing that I'm kind of struggling with here, because I think April 25th, if I look at my calendar, is a Thursday. Yeah, it is. So it comes out, the it, the review embargo is the day before the game comes out. And I was struggling with, like, should we delay the episode again next week? 
but I'm not going to. What we're going to end up doing, I think, Chris, if this makes sense to you, is we'll record a normal episode next week and put it up on Tuesday as usual. And then we'll record the week after. We'll do two episodes and we'll do a normal episode and then we'll do a spoiler cast slash review kind of discussion on Days Gone since we'll be long done with it by then. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So that will go live. The Days Gone discussion will go live late the week of like May 1st. That way it'll give you guys a little bit of time to beat the game. We're not tempting you to spoil it. And we're still timely with our information and it doesn't interrupt the schedule or the flow of our show otherwise. So I think that all makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a good way to go about. So, I haven't really been playing anything else. Yeah, aside from, aside from Sekiro, which I've talked about to death. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm eager to talk about it, but we just can't do that yet. Yeah. So we will bide our time and we will talk to you about Days Gone when the time comes. We, of course, appreciate Sony sending us a couple of copies, yeah, which always makes our job a lot easier. I was surprised that we got it so early. I was, too, especially because I think I reached out to them asking and they were talking to me about it. My friend Brian is working on the game uh, over on PR, and I, I emailed him. I'm like, when are we getting the games? And he's like, I think codes are going out next week. And then the next day, I got the codes. <laughs> and I got two great. of them, which is even better, because usually I have to ask for another one for Chris, because they don't communicate directly with Chris. So usually they're just sending email codes out on their mailing lists. And they have me down twice now. So this is good. Everything's going really yeah, well. Yeah, it's working pretty well. But Chris, enough of all of this. It's time to get into the news. There's a lot to discuss this yeah, week. Yeah, let's get into the meat. Huh? The, meat the, the meat and the potatoes. So the big first news item just broke this morning, and we would have had to wait till next week to talk about it. We would have had to wait to talk about it until next week, but now we don't have to. We can talk about it right now. Look at the timeliness. Let's do it. Number one, for the very first time, Sony has discussed the PlayStation 5 in specific terms. Publication Wired conducted an interview with Sony's Mark Cerny, the system architect of the PlayStation 4 and PS Vita, the man leading the charge on PlayStation 5, and one of the creative forces behind the likes of Spyro the Dragon, Ratchet and & Clank, and Crash Bandicoot. Cerny says a lot in the article, as does Wired, but here are the various things you should know. PS5 has been in development for four years so far, entering R&D in the 2014 or 2015 region, and Cerny never refers to it as PlayStation 5, but repeatedly calls it, quote, the next-gen console, end quote. So we're assuming it's going to be called PS5, and that's what we will refer to it as, but he doesn't. It'd be, it'd be weird if it wasn't. I agree. <laughs> Especially, as I've said, after naming it PlayStation 4, 4 being she, the word she in Japanese, which I think is the same word as death in Japanese and therefore an unlucky number, similar to 13 in our culture. But they and so everyone thought they would never name it PS4, but they did. So now there's no reason to not name it PS5. Now I can't think of any reason to cop myself out or cop myself out, psych myself out. I don't know what copying yourself out means. That doesn't make any sense. And as you may have guessed, it's not coming out this year, though dev kits are in dev's hands with Sony sending more and more out as the days and months pass. AMD is creating the custom chip at the center of the console. According to Wired, quote, the CPU is based on the third generation of AMD's Ryzen line and contains eight cores of the company's new, I think this is seven nanometer, right? Nano? I think so. Zen 2 microarchitecture, 7NM, I, I guess that's a measurement. Whatever the hell that means. So 7NM Zen 2 microarchitecture. The GPU, a custom variant of Radeon's Navi family, will support ray tracing, end quote. Such internals won't only be a boon for PS5's graphical fidelity, frame rates, resolutions, and power, but also for audio fidelity, which Cerny stresses in this interview. I thought that that was really interesting as well. Yeah. Cerny confirmed that the current iteration of PSVR will work with PlayStation 5, though he declined to speak about a future iteration of the device. The console's hard drive also marks a huge upgrade. The nature of the solid-state drive used in the console means that things like load times will be cut down drastically. To show this, Cerny showed Wired journalist Spider-Man running on both PS4 Pro and the next-gen hardware housed in a PC shell. While fast-traveling in Spider-Man on PS4, Cerny shows what the process takes the hardware about 15 seconds to complete. Doing the same task on PS5 cuts quick travel down to less than a second. That's crazy. Cerny confirms that the console will support up to 8K graphics, meaning that 4K is a no-brainer. And it was also confirmed that PS5 will play your PS4 games. So there's a lot of answers that we've been looking for yeah. in there as well. The big ones being, of course, Chris, backwards compatibility, the power 
and the things that they're kind of relying upon, how long it's been in development, some of the internal specific internals and AMD custom chipset. Yeah. All of this kind of stuff. I was really fascinated by the load time thing he showed, though, because this was what I had been discussing for a while, Chris, in terms of the things that are not graphical, that are not about core gameplay, but could be about something else, whether it's about AI or whatever. Load times is another huge thing. And apparently I was reading, I don't know if it's a rumor or whatever, that someone was saying that they can see or have been hurt hearing that the marketing is really going to rely upon like the elimination of load times. And if that's the case, that's fucking huge because back in the cartridge era, that was another selling point. Yeah. And 64 had no load times because it was based on something else while we were playing PS1 games and they had to load and stuff. So yeah, PS1 loaded forever. Right, exactly. So to have <laughs> that. So so what do you make of this? What do you make of all of this news? Is there anything out here in here that sticks out to you? I think the, the thing that sticks out to me is the the solid state hard drive. I know that that's like tied to the load times, but the idea that like solid state hard drives are not cheap. They're kind of expensive, which is why the more you pay for them, the kind of less you get in storage. So I wonder if we'll have a shorter, like a, a smaller amount of storage in the next generation of hardware, even though games are so huge now. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Like in other like, words, I wonder if they'll yeah. give you like a terabyte right. solid state, right. which is like not super common. If it is. It's pretty expensive. Yeah, he says something in there. And again, I'm not a technologically advanced person here at all, as everyone knows. But he says something in there about how this particular solid state hard drive, that there are basically variants of solid state hard drives that do different things. Right. And that this one apparently is a more powerful version than it found in any current PC. That was like something that he said. And I was like, that seems pretty extraordinary. Now, they are buyers of scale. Obviously, this is an economy of scale in a major way. They're going to make millions of these things. So maybe they got great prices on them or something. I don't know. Or maybe it's proprietary. I have no idea, but that was an interesting thing, too. Yeah. But the backwards compatibility right. is obviously huge, but I, I thought it was obvious. Like, there's, there was no chance in hell. <laughs> no. There wasn't a snowball's chance in hell that they were going to be like, ah, you can't play your PS4 games. Whoops. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's it's great to know that we don't have to even talk about that anymore. Now we just know. Now they've said that. The What do you think about the 8K? That seems pretty extraordinary. The only 8K screen I've ever seen in my life is at the Apple store. And I was looking at it when they redesigned it on the Third Street Promenade. And the guy was like, oh, that's an 8K screen. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. That was literally the first time I even ever heard that term. I, I know I've known about it for a while, but I, I don't think I've ever seen one out in the wild. Or if I have, I, I don't know if I would be able to tell you if I could tell if it was an 8K screen. Because 4K looks pretty great to me. I'm sure I'm sure in like 10 years it's going to be like, ugh, 4K to what is watercolor games? You know, but like, I don't know. I'm not thinking about 8K at all. My 4K TV works fine. It's good that if it can run up to 8K, that means 4K should be no problem, which is great. So that's all I need to know. I think that that was probably the motivation behind saying that is to kind of insinuate like, listen, like this isn't even an issue for the console at all that we'll be able to do. Obviously, 1080p, 4K will probably be the baseline. And, you know, we're even going to aim towards this 8K 30 frame or whatever resolution that they can do. So that's pretty cool. So it sounds like it's pretty powerful. It sounds like, not surprisingly, it's been in development for a long time. Cerny is the guy that heads it because he did such a nice job with PS4. And I think he did a nice job with Vita as well, but it just wasn't as popular. But he seems like because of his development shops and him, him being involved in Insomniac and Naughty Dog so early on that he has the respect and the ear of the development community in a way I think some hardware wonks that just our engineers don't. And so I think he makes... An interesting intermediary to go around and travel around. I will say, though, that my sources never speak to me directly about what the PS5 can do. All I know is like what they're working on. Right. And like the games that are being developed. So I can't confirm any of any of the stuff. But the beauty of it is that we don't have to because this was an official interview. This was this isn't that's yeah, the other yeah. nice thing about this is that this isn't it's not a, a leak. leak. 
like where we have to kind of speculate on if it's true or what's true or is this being kind of is this a lie or is this being set up or whatever? No, this was an official interview. Now, let me ask you this, Chris. What do you think Sony's inspiration was to do this? This was something that obviously the PR team went out of their way to do. And there has to be a reason why. Why do you think it is? I think because E3 is gearing up and they know that they're not going to be there. So they have to do something to keep them in the public kind of consciousness is what I would assume is the reason. Because otherwise, let's say E3 happens and they're not there and then they're not part of the conversation at all. That's probably not great. It's probably not going to hurt them all that much, but it's it's always better to just be in people's kind of good graces than it is to not be. I agree. And the other thing they confirm in the piece is that, you know, I, I think we already knew this, no 2019 release, yeah, which was, is not a huge surprise. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about that and speculate about that anymore, which is really sweet. But the other thing that I think is is simply interesting is is what you're saying. Like this is, seems to be them saying like releasing an FAQ and being like, here's some answers, and otherwise we're going to go dark for a little while, and we know that Microsoft's going to now take the stage. So just think about us a little bit. I think you're right because there's also rumors, actually pretty much confirmed now, that a solid state Xbox One S is coming out in May. I don't know if you saw that leak. Oh, I didn't see so that. So there is that the diskless? Yeah. One? So there's going to be a yeah solid state diskless Xbox One S at a pretty cheap rate. This has been rumored for a long time, obviously, and I don't really exist in the Xbox ecosystem, but a pretty compelling flyer with it, picture on it, and all the information was released or like that week or whatever. So, yeah, apparently that's like slated for May 20th or May 21st or whatever. That's that's pretty pretty soon. soon. So they're already manufactured. So, again, another reason for Sony to kind of keep people talking about their devices and talks about backwards compatibility. Another interesting thing, apparently, and now we can only read into this a little bit, is that the journalist at Wired noted when they were talking about cross-generation games, which are still going to happen, as we've been discussing on the show, he had mentioned Death Stranding and kind of asked Cerny about it. And Cerny apparently wouldn't confirm, but kind of had this like wry look on his face, like like it is going to be a PS4 and PS5 game. Huh. So pretty interesting stuff there, too, as well. So lots of stuff confirmed no more speculation necessary in some ways very very good yeah it's fine it's nice to actually hear something (laughs) now before that the the next thing was the biggest piece of news and this alone was a big piece of news in fact i wrote on my notepad yesterday here on my desk in quotes hell freezes over because i was going to call the show the episode hell freezes over because of this piece of news i'm not going to call it this anymore obviously but number two after nearly 13 years name changing has officially come to playstation network For the very first time, players will now be able to change their PSN names at will, free of charge for the first change, and for $9.99 for every change thereafter. PlayStation Plus members will only have to pay $4.99. You can change your name on both PlayStation 4 and via web browser, but you can't change your name on PS3 or Vita, even though your change name will also be reflected on those pieces of hardware. Once you change your name, you have the option to have your previous name displayed in parentheses for 30 days following the change, and you basically own any PSN ID you hereafter claim, including your original name, so there's no risk in anyone taking your previous monikers. You can always return to those original names for free as well. Changing your name will likely have material effects on most of your PS3 and Vita libraries, as well as any PS4 game published prior to April 1st of 2018. Any PS4 game released after April 1st of last year should work with no issues with a changed ID. Sony lists the most likely issues a player may run into with older PS4 games, as well as PS3 and Vita games, as your old name being visible to other players, in-game save data being lost, in-progress trophy data being lost, leaderboard data being lost, access to online content, including DLC and virtual currency being lost, and some games may cease to partially or wholly function entirely. Sony has a constantly updated list of games that work, games that have functionality missing, and even a list of games that are catastrophically broken, including four first-party games. Wow. 
I don't know about that. Little Big Planet 3 and MLB The Show 14, 15, and 16 have significant issues, apparently, if you change your name, which is so interesting to me. Yeah. And there are a ton on the kind of fucked up list, including like Bloodborne, yeah, MLB The Show 17. So the way around this, I think, is going to be... Well, there are two things to say about this. Actually, you know what? We have a bunch of letters from the audience that will allow us to explore this, Chris. Let's just jump into what they have to say. All right. Anthony Gigi wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, with PSN name changes launching this week, it makes me very skeptical to change mine. As Sony said that PS3 and Vita will not support name change, and I still use my PS3 and Vita, and I don't want to lose trophy progress on my purchases. Do you think Sony will get around to fix these issues in the future, or is it doom and gloom for PS3 and Vita? I really wish I can change my name, but I don't want to take the risk. Thanks for all you guys do. Greetings from New Jersey. Oh, greetings from New Jersey. Perhaps he lives in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. Now, Anthony, I, this is an interesting question. Here's how I understand it. Now, you guys have to look into this more. Even though Sony is saying that there are issues with PS3 and Vita games, there actually aren't. What they're basically saying is that we can't vouch for literally anything on those that hardware. Nothing has been tested and we're not chronicling what's going on over there. So they have a running list of all the PS4 games and how they work, but they're not worrying about PS3 and Vita games. So it's not saying that it's going to happen. It's saying that it, very, it may very well happen. And if it does happen on that old hardware, there's nothing that can be done about it. That's why they're letting you go back to your original name for free at any time, because that should fix any problem you encounter. Right. So if you have like a trophy list that's tethered, because some people are worried, like my trophies are getting deleted. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, is if you are a certain amount towards a trophy on data that is saved to your name, it might not understand that and you won't be able to continue you know, on with that. The same thing with save data, the same thing if you have in-game currency or DLC purchase. There's just it just wasn't. It's still such a clunky <laughs> rollout. I'm but, surprised they they did it at all. Me too. Um, that's why I tweeted at them when they announced it. I was like, with the uh, anchorman, like I don't believe you things. I'm like, there's no, <laughs> yeah, there's no way. So, there that is one major thing that I wanted to talk about. PS3 and Vita should be materially affected in premise, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will be. That's a big thing. So you can always go back to your old name and kind of navigate it for free if you want to. That's a pain in the ass. That's actually why, for the time being, I'm not changing my name because yeah, I'm not doing it either. Like yeah. I, I just don't feel like dealing with the. <laughs> I'm fine, whatever. Right. Like, I'm Moriarty-IGN still. I haven't worked at IGN in five years. But I now knowing that I can do it kind of removes the, like, I don't feel anxious about it anymore. Because now I just know that I can do it. So I'm like, oh, I'll just do it whenever I want. You know? <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not super anxious about it. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Azan wrote into us and said, hey, Colin and Chris, a brave suggestion posted on PS blog suggesting to revoke unused usernames with no activities, timelines or trophies attached to them and giving it back for public use. For example, someone from Spain, I believe, took the username Azan with no activities or trophies attached to it. What do you think? So this is interesting, Azan. So what he's saying is like, should Sony now do mass deletions of old accounts that aren't being used? And I do think that this is a step that they're going to have to take eventually. But you have to remember that just because you can't see trophies or activities, even if there's like one movie or one game or something attached to that name, I don't think they can in good conscience or even theoretically delete it. Right. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I know that YouTube does that a lot, actually. They purge like really old accounts that aren't used anymore. But like I feel like in a game situation where like there are usernames tied to purchases, I don't know if it would go over that well. Yeah, I think you have to be really careful. I think treading lightly on that is smart. I, I, what I would be interested in is if you could identify names that you wanted that seem to be inactive and then Sony can kind of do a search manually. Maybe it costs you a little money. I don't know how it would work, but where they can see like, all right, this was a name that was just created as an alt account. So if someone's friend can play fucking army of two back in 2008 and it's never been touched again, so we'll delete it. You know, something like that as opposed to this account just hasn't been signed in in five years, but it actually has a shit ton yeah. of games. I feel like it's still like a lot of focus that they probably they won't even begin to think about. Right. Like, I, 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 we're I, we're I, not going to bother deleting some dude because he, played army of two once right exactly i I'm, I'm in agreement with you there but it is frustrating because there are even names that i've thought of that have been taken that oh are, for sure yeah that it's like ah it's too bad that's why when everyone's like what do you want to make your name i'm like i'm not fucking telling you people what i want to make my name no, yeah, exactly. so you they'll just take, take it, it. <laughs> i know how you guys operate brian gorlick wrote in and said colin and chris it happened ps4 name changes are officially live even though the first change is free, I guess Sony finally realized they were leaving revenue on the table. You've also been yelling at them for years, so so maybe they had that had something to do with it. I I doubt it. Although I'd like to think that I played some small role in this, since I have bitched and whined about this so much. <laughs> you probably have. I, I like, like. I'm pretty sure you probably have. When I was posi- in, in positions of much more extraordinary industry power, I was like bitching about this constantly. So maybe I did. I don't know. If I did, it, they were really that was like the the slowest boat moving boat ever. You know, since I've been complaining about it for so long. However, there is a significant problem. Should you decide to change your PSN name, games published prior to April 1st, 2018 might not be compatible with the new name. How is it that Sony can't seem to get this right and Microsoft has had this functionality for years? And why not just hold it until the bugs are worked out? It's been this long. What's another few years? As always, keep up the great work and thank you for making Tuesdays great again. I think the the thing you have to take into consideration is Microsoft is a software company. Primarily, they do hardware, obviously. But they, their bread and butter is software. It's Windows. It's it's making sure things run kind of smoothly from a software standpoint. Uh, that's why the Xbox 360 failed so miserably as a as a piece of machinery <laughs> when it was first launched. It was just not at all R and D correctly. Whereas Sony is more of like kind of like a hardware first kind of company, and they obviously use software too. But I just don't th- I, I don't think they had the expertise to or the foresight to understand what an online gaming ecosystem would be like and what that would mean from like a coding standpoint and what should tether to what so it really is just kind of like it's not that microsoft has had it figured out for years it's just that they they were in a better position to figure it out from the get-go right and i think that it's important to note that the april 1st 2018 date is significant the one that sony keeps bringing up and that brian brought up implies that they fixed it they did it implies well the implication is that and this is why i think this is much more interesting because people had leaked to me a few years ago when i was still kind of funny this whole internal deck that was circulating where they were saying now developers are being told that they need to identify usernames in a different way in the code so that it's not identifying you as name, but it's it's like referencing something else. 
But then they had to give it time so that games had come out and had been registered so that when they had made the final announcement, they can go back and say, like, look, everything released in the last year should be totally fine. If they if they basically let it go last year at April 1st, when it was ready to go, they'd be like every game as of release today now is going to work fine. It would just be this whole fucked up thing. Right. So I I understand what Brian's saying, but I think that this slow moving effort had some sort of deliberate nature behind it in the sense that they had to get it moving slowly and then give everyone time to figure it out, let the devs know how they're supposed to treat these things differently, give the PSN engineers time to fix it, let it go through its beta period and all of that. So I know it's been a long time coming. I know I've been really hard on them for this. But at the same time, I also want to say, like, I understand how complicated this was because this was apparently such a complicated and horrifying problem that it took them this long to fix. You have to just look at it through that lens. If yeah. Sony if Sony could have started charging people $10 to change their name 10 years ago, they would have done it. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's as simple as Xbox and Steam and all these guys reference digits that a name is laid over so it can be changed. And Sony simply didn't do that. It simply referenced Moriarty-IGN as a folder, as a subfolder. My trophies are there. Everything's there. And then it, just, it was a catastrophic idea. You know? Yeah, which is a reasonable kind of thing to think about if you're just kind of conceptualizing what an online ecosystem would be in the first place. Like, uh, Not a lot of people are thinking about changing their <laughs> names right. back then, especially because you're just thinking about finding a name. Right. It's it's super cool uh, that they're, they're finally allowing you to do it. People are out there doing it. I'm not. <laughs> Chris isn't doing it. I'm not going to do it anytime soon. I, I mean, I, I'm sure I will one day, but I just don't... F- I want to get some distance. I'm not worried about PS3, but I want to get some distance from PS4. Yeah, for sure. And from Vita before I think I change anything around. The final inquiry comes from Trent Miller. He said, our pleas to Shuhei have been answered and we can change our names, though with some complications, which makes me a little nervous to go for it. Do you guys think and any updates on a game that has some issues with the name change will fix the issue or is it just forever going to be messed up? I'm not sure how it all is working, and Sony's explanation made me confused as to what exactly might happen if I made the change, and there are one game that I play that has a critical error, etc. Should I be worried? So, again, you shouldn't be worried because, theoretically, updates could be made to games, and they're going to update some major games. Little Big Planet 3 is a game, apparently, that's really broken. That, that game needs to be fixed, obviously. And MLB The Show needs to be bro- fixed and stuff like that, which is surprising that it, it, it reads it differently. But I'm not super worried about it because you can go back to your old name. So that's not convenient, maybe, but you can always go back to your old name and it'll function again. That's apparently the solve that they've put in here. So anyway, congratulations, everybody. We did it. We did it. Yay. Number three, publisher Electronic Arts and their fully owned developer Respawn Entertainment have revealed the first details concerning their previously announced Star Wars game, Jedi Fallen Order. As rumored, the game is about a Jedi who escaped Order 66, which is in Star Wars lore, is the directive ordering the murder of all remaining living Jedi. Perhaps most interestingly, though, both the publisher and developer have confirmed that Fallen Order is a completely single player game with absolutely no multiplayer functionality and no microtransactions whatsoever. Respawn is building the game on Epic's Unreal Engine 4 in lieu of using EA's proprietary Frostbite engine, and it already has a release date. The game will arrive on PlayStation 4 and elsewhere on November 15th of this year. That's super soon. It is. It's very soon. It's really wild. I don't believe that they're going to make the date. That's my theory right now. What do you think? I think it's, it's super cool. Like, I, I have a lot of faith in Respawn. I think they typically make really good stuff. I think Titanfall 2 is probably... The prospect of them doing a uh, single-player-only game has me really excited because what they did with Titanfall 2 was, like, actually, like, kind of wild. It's probably one of my favorite single-players in the last decade. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm not really a huge Star Wars guy, but I've always liked the Star Wars games. You know, I, I could give I could give less of a hell about the movies. But... Now this is this is cool. I, I think it's interesting that they're using <laughs> Unreal Engine 4 instead of Frostbite, especially given you know what we know now about Anthem 
and right. how frostbite is apparently hellish to work with. I think that that's an unintentional boon for EA to see to basically point that you don't make that decision like lightly, and you also hadn't made that decision recently. The game is really actually pretty close to being done. So yeah. I think that's why they. I, I think they will make the date because they're using Unreal Engine. Possibly, <laughs> honestly, I Unreal we, Engine Four is the same thing that's running Days Gone. Interestingly, and what's cool about this, I think, for, from EA's perspective, is that they can go back and say, like, listen, we knew about Frostbite being fucked up at Bioware. We knew that there was problems internally with using Dice's engine. So we greenlit using an engine that's going to actually cost us money a long time ago before anyone was complaining. So don't be mad at us for not yeah. listening or whatever. So that's an interesting piece of insider stuff that I think they can they can leverage. But I want to talk about what Stee Coventry wrote into us about over on Patreon. S-T-E is his name. Stee? Stee? Stee Coventry? Stu. Stay? Stu Coventry. Hey, fellas, with a trailer for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order released with zero gameplay footage, could this be more of the same from EA? With a game set to launch in November, I'm certainly worried. And then he brings up the Episode 9 trailer as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not worried. I do think it's weird that we haven't seen gameplay of it yet, given how close it is to launch. But if they if they put out a CG trailer like that and have a launch date that's so close, I have to imagine... I, I, I just don't imagine them doing that, especially given how bad the press around EA has been lately. I, I just don't see them doing that. I don't see them making a promise like that that they can't keep. Uh, that'd be wild. Like yeah. if they had to delay that and then EA's not doing too well. You know, they, they kind of like had like a little bit of an upswing with Anth- uh, not Anthem, uh, Apex. You want to get as much good press if you're EA as possible. And I think announcing a, a Star Wars game that is then going to miss the date is probably not the best way to do it. Yeah, it, it seems you're probably right in the sense, Chris, that it seems like because of the launch of Episode nine, which Mr. Coventry brought up as well, that being like late in the year, you want to have something surrounding it similar to Battlefield when or Battlefront, when yeah. that came out. I'm with you there that maybe this date could be hit simply because it must be hit. But I, I'm so skeptical of anything EA does now that I don't know what I don't know what the better answer for them would be. Would it be like to miss the date and to miss the Star Wars launch movie launch and to have a better game. Like, is that really worth it to them at this point? Or is it to like get out something that has been in development for some time now? Stig Abinson, by the way, is the creative director of the game, which is really interesting because he was the creative director of that canceled Sony Santa Monica game, which is oh. really interesting. He was the, he was the guy that was in charge of that game. So some talent there. He was a, a God of War veteran, of course, who went over to Respawn. And apparently they also stopped working on another game to make this game. They actually canceled the game internally. Yeah, I, I read that too. Which is super interesting as well. Now, Chris, let me ask you this. I don't know if they've said anything or confirmed. Is it possible that this isn't a shooter? Is it possible this isn't a first-person shooter? And I don't think it's a first-person shooter. The Unreal Engine part of it, to me, indicates that that's why they didn't use Frostbite. It was because Unreal Engine deals so much better in third-person action yeah. than Frostbite does. Although we've seen Frostbite run Mass Effect and stuff. Not super I, great. I wonder if this game is not what we would expect out of Respawn. We expect out of Respawn linear or multiplayer-centric shooters. Yeah. And I really, I, I kind of hope it is a first-person shooter or a first-person perspective game, but I really do think it's a third-person action game. I think it's a third-person action game, too. I think it's going to be more similar to, oh, man, why am I blanking on this? The Force Unleashed. I think it's going to be like a Force Unleashed kind of maybe similar to 1313 or what, or what little we've seen of 1313. I think it's definitely going to be in that kind of vein, especially because it's a single player. Like, an, an FPS in the modern day without, like, a, some tacked-on multiplayer, I don't I don't buy it. Right. <laughs> it's, it we don't like, get it very often. Only Bethesda really delivers those experiences. Yeah, even with. Doom, you know, for as great as Doom was, had this weird tacked on multiplayer that's right like, what? that's true that's a good point you know that's a good point yeah it's funny bethesda is the only major publisher that really insists on elite with wolfenstein yeah. and actually i think rage rage 2, 2 also so th- that's nice that we have something like that i also think that the contradiction there chris with 
them doing another first person Star Wars game is they already have two first person Star Wars games. Yeah, in, exactly. In the Battlefront game. It would so. compete with Battle, Battlefront that you don't really need that. Right. So I think that the Unreal Engine 4 thing, I think, is a signal not only that they're willing to sp- send, spend licensing fees and stuff, which would annoy the shit out of me if I was an executive, at, you know, knowing we owe 5% of revenue or whatever to Epic now. And Epic's probably thrilled. But that we don't really need to hit that beat again. I really think that they need to hit the story driven maybe even have a little bit of role-playing element, maybe some non-linearity, some game length. I, I'm super interested to see what they do because this, this is obviously way different from their wheelhouse. And the fact that they're doing it at all is kind of shocking. So You, you know what this is kind of, a, this transition reminds me a little bit of? Guerrilla Games going yeah. from Killzone. We're going to talk about Guerrilla in a minute, but yeah, from Killzone to Horizon. Yeah. It's pretty identical, actually. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't go back to their, we'll talk about this because Guerrilla's in a similar situation right now. I would love to see this out of Respawn, something new, something fresh, something exciting. And maybe something that borrows a little bit from maybe what Amy Hennig was doing at Visceral. Maybe, maybe get some of that flavor in there. Yeah. Who, who knows? It frustrates me a little bit, though, knowing that Ragtag, which was Amy Hennig's project, was canceled. But they're still doing a single player story driven game at Respawn. And I'm like, what was wrong with Visceral's game? Like, th- There must have yeah, been something I'm... so wrong with it. We read into it at the time. Maybe this means they don't want to go in this direction. They don't want single player games and stuff like that. But no, that's not the case at all. This game was in development at the same time. So. Makes you wonder what what was going on over there. Maybe, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's I mean, we can't we can't know. Yeah. Well, hopefully we will one day when someone decides to finally talk about. It. Speaking of Guerrilla Games, number four, perhaps not surprisingly, it seems that 2017's popular PS4 exclusive Horizon Zero Dawn is getting a sequel. Word comes by way of a Reddit post that has been making the rounds, which points to a clip on Twitch. In this clip, actress, and I think I say her name right, Janina Gavinkar, I think that's how you say it. Yeah, I think you're right. Is discussing Horizon Zero Dawn with a fan in which she says, quote, it's incredible. Wait until you see the sequel. You're going to die. I know some secrets, end quote. So kind of like a throwaway thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is significant, of course, because Gavin Carr played a character named Tatai in the Frozen Wilds, which is a, the original Horizons DLC expansion. I still have never played the Frozen Wilds, actually. So she likely speaks from a place of some authority. This news comes on the heels of equally interesting news seemingly indicating that Guerrilla Games, the Sony-owned studio behind Horizon, may also quietly be working on a new multiplayer game as well, something that would be very much in their wheelhouse, as they're also the studio behind the Killzone series. Website Push Square put the pieces together, most recently pointing to a multiplayer-centric job listing at Guerrilla asking for a Java developer familiar with a series of multiplayer and online gaming features. With more than 400 employees and other recent multiplayer-leaning hires like Simon LaRouche, a veteran of Killzone 2 and the director of Rainbow Six Siege, it appears likely that Guerrilla is working on both a follow-up to Horizon and a new Killzone. This is something that I've been saying for a long time, and I think that this is a no-brainer. I think the PS5 should launch with a Killzone game. I think that that's smart. Give it a multiplayer shooter and let people wait for Horizon, you know, which will probably take a much longer time. Assuming, you know, Shadowfall came out in 2013. It went gold in the summer of 2013. Let's assume that most of the team segued then to Horizon to finish that and get that out. And I think that that's what happened. But there might have already always been a small team or a pre-production team always working on Killzone in the meantime. And then now maybe they're with with 400 people. That's a big team. That's that's way too big to make Horizon. So they're definitely making two games. And I don't see why it wouldn't be a Killzone game. Yeah, it'd be weird if it was anything else. But maybe Killzone just doesn't resonate anymore. I don't really know. What would it be, though, if it's not Killzone, you know? Maybe a new IP? Maybe. I don't see them doing two new IPs, though. Or like, Well, I mean, I guess Horizon's more of a recent IP. Right. But I think the same rhythm for, Hori- or for Gorilla makes a lot of sense here. Yeah. Killzone at launch, Horizon a few years later. Perfect, you know, because I, I like Killzone. I want to see them really make it with Killzone. Like, I want to see them sell more than two million copies of one of these games. And one day, there's like a small group of people, Chris. I know you come more from the Xbox ecosystem historically, but I think you know 
there's a group of people that love that kill like love kills them no i'm and sure even still play Shadowfall, which is another game that's broken by the way because of the name change oh really yeah oh, so <laughs> I would like to see that not be the last Killzone game. I think Killzone was on a positive trajectory, as I've said many times, with Shadowfall and with Mercenary on Vita. So let's just continue the good feelings. That's my theory. Nate McKinney wrote into us on Patreon. He says, Hasty Squared. So at Star Wars Experience, Janina Gavinkar went and revealed that the existence of Horizon Zero Dawn sequel while talking to a fan. It was safe to assume it was going to get a sequel, but now we can speculate on this apparently lethally amazing video game. When do you think it'll release? I feel 2020 or 2021 is a safe bet. Is it possible it could be a PS5 launch title? How great would that be for maintaining PlayStation's momentum going into the next generation? With Xbox preparing to bring a new wave of fresh first-party games, how big would Horizon 2 be at launch? Thanks for making Tuesdays great again. I do kind of think it would be a better play for Horizon to be the launch title, honestly. Because it's so, it was received so well compared to Killzone. I feel like people are going to see a Killzone, another Killzone game and they're going to be like, oh, another Killzone game. As much as like the people who like love that will be happy, Horizon was just like a runaway success. Like, it came out of nowhere. So, yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't think it's going to be a launch title, though. I, I do think it's probably going to be a Killzone game at launch. But that would be wild if it launched with Horizon 2. That'd that would be, be insane. It would be insane just because it would be it would be so compact. Yeah. Because the game came out in 2017, February, I think, 2017, and then the, they were working on the DLC. So you have to assume that they wouldn't have even entered pre-production for the new game until 2018. So it seems like a really rapid thing. While if Killzone is oh, for o- sure. if Killzone was quietly being developed in the background, it just seems improbable. But the unlikely thing that might be true, Chris, which would be really sad, is if they're hiring so many multiplayer people to make Horizon multiplayer. You oh, know, like a if, shared world kind yeah, of Yeah, if they're now going to take... If Killzone's dead, they're working on one game, all of them, and they're hiring all this multiplayer talent to be like, we're make, we're going to make Horizon into a... Something else now, like a Borderlands or a some you know some something that's both single player and multiplayer. You know, maybe that has something to do with it as well. Maybe not Borderlands in terms of loot. I don't no, mean I that, know but mean. like you know, everyone's like a social kind of right. Yeah. Maybe Far Cry is a better. Maybe eh, I hope not. I hope not too. Yeah. Hopefully, Sony's not stupid enough to think that that's okay to do that game. <laughs> but that's my theory right now. Yeah, Killzone first, Horizon second. And the hiring seems to indicate that they have plenty of talent to do that. I mean, if you can get a guy that worked on Killzone 2 and then went to Ubisoft to direct Siege, which is a big game, and then you were able to attract him back, it's either a lot of money, which I'm sure it is, but it could also be the right project. And maybe that's maybe that's Killzone. Number five. See, the, the first party news keeps on coming here, Chris. Yeah, it's crazy. A job listing from Sony-owned developer Sucker Punch may indicate that its upcoming PS4 exclusive Ghost of Tsushima may be further out than we had hoped. That's because the team is seeking out a narrative writer with tasks including, quote, story development, game dialogue, and general narrative contribution, end quote. Such a role with such a job description seems to suggest that the game is far from being content complete, meaning it can't be anywhere near its final stages of development, all but putting the kibosh at any hopes of a 2019 release and maybe even an early 2020 release. Now, it's important to note that the Sucker Punch job listing specifically notes Ghost of Tsushima, so it's not like they're hiring a narrative writer for an unknown project. They're hiring a writer for this game. It's not a good sign in terms. It's a good sign. The game might be great, but it's not a good sign that the game is anywhere being close to done. Maybe they're doing lore. Maybe. Yeah, it could be collectibles and all that. But one of the things they say is dialogue. And that to me was interesting because the game, I'm sure, is fully voice acted. So even if they're writing dialogue, then they have to get people in the in the booth to record it and all that. This just doesn't seem. And a lot of it's mocap, I think, too. So this doesn't seem like a game that's anywhere close to being done from my perspective. Who knows, though? Additionally. Additionally, the job listing comes on the heels of similar news from Naughty Dog Vice President Neil Druckmann. Naughty Dog, of course, is the Sony-owned studio behind Uncharted and The Last of Us, and Druckmann is obviously working on The Last of Us Part 2. 
Tweets from him in the last few weeks show motion capture, actually just the last week, show motion capture still being conducted for the game, as well as revealing that Laura Bailey, who plays a prominent role in the game, just wrapped her own performance capture days ago. This likewise indicates that we're nowhere near the launch of The Last of Us Part Two. That's fascinating. So both of these games are 2020 games at the least now, I think. I don't think there's any chance you're getting any of these. And that's yeah. what's so, that is why it is so weird that they released Dreams the week in, in early access the week before Days Gone comes out. Why would you do that? It's really weird. It is really bizarre. So it'd be a hell of a launch lineup, though. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, that would be really it might be super smart that they're doing like, like just like here's a here's a kill zone. Here's Last of Us. Here's Ghost of Shima <laughs> fucking launch. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be the, uh, probably the best launch lineup in probably like 20 years. Yeah, it, I, there is such a thing as too much, though. There is definitely yeah, you want to definitely spread things out, but now I think they have the exact opposite problem. Maybe we're reading into these issues too much, but I'm pretty familiar with development, and I know you are too. And these things aren't—you don't still motion capture no. when you're when you're now in beta, and people are now like filling in the holes in the game and trying to get it to like be you know one coherent product. This is yeah. stuff that happens before unless you're that. like way ahead of schedule and you're doing DLC. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's which possible. is also possible. That's possible. But that's true. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's super. I, I kind of call that Ghost of Tsushima was like way far. Like I I always thought that that was like. That's not a 2019 game at all, uh, especially the the more I saw of it. I think The Last of Us Part Two being possibly not this year at all is f- interesting. Yeah, it's sad to me, but it seems it may, maybe we're totally wrong on reading into the tea leaves in an improper way. I will say that you're the point about DLC, I guess, is well taken because it, it could be that like if if they if Laura Bailey's in the DLC, too, and, and it's, it's already written and they know they just need her and they have her already, they might as well just capture everything and then have it for later. So it's entirely possible that that's happening. But that seems unlikely. Yeah. I just wish I knew. Also, that still means that they're, they were just still recording the main campaign. Right. It, it just isn't looking good for those games coming out this year at all. Which begs the question, what is going to come out this year? And that's why I think that there are, well, well first of all, there are unannounced games for PS4. And, and I I know one specifically that I think people are really going to be excited about. Drive Club 2. And Drive Club 2 is definitely one of those unannounced games. <laughs> Medieval is probably coming out this year, so I guess yeah, it's Medieval, that, but like, I, yeah, yeah, there's, Medieval. No, there's no huge things that I know about. Yeah, Medieval will come out. What was that game, that, that cute adventure or action adventure multiplayer game? Ready oh, Set Heroes, Ready that's going to come out. Yeah. So And they have Concrete A bunch Gene. of VR stuff, too. Yeah. So it's good if you're in the ecosystem, but if you're looking for that big draw, like what's the gonna what's gonna be the commercial during football season? You know what's gonna be the the commercial uh, uh, you know on banner ads on IGN in the fall for Sony? Is it gonna be third party stuff or you know I don't know? It's very interesting. I guess maybe they're looking at the schedule and being like, well, we don't really need to release anything. People are still buying the console and they're playing all of these other games, which by the way we get thirty percent of all of these other games being sold too. So. Yeah, they're definitely in a fine position. Yeah, I, so they're, maybe they're, they're, not, yeah. they're not sweating. Yeah, maybe they just they don't feel any urgency. Number six, Sony's fully owned London studio, colloquially known as Sony London, has revealed that its upcoming PSVR exclusive title Blood and Truth has gone gold, indicating that it's done with core development and is ready to be submitted for certification and publishing. Blood and Truth is a thriller slash crime game, and it's due out on May 28th. That game looks pretty cool. We saw that at the very first state of play a couple weeks ago. And Sony London has really, I think, eased nicely into being kind of a VR studio, but also a, a every person studio. They, they make really friendly games. And I feel like that is a necessary part of Sony's ecosystem that they have locked down really nicely that actually the other studio or other first parties don't have. And while as much as I'd love to see London re- studio return to the getaway and shit like that, we all know that that's you know not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven. 
It's been clear to PlayStation fans for months that Sony has been instituting new, radically different rules for sexual content on its hardware. But now, according to the Wall Street Journal, we finally have some insight into the whys and hows behind these various decisions. The newspaper spoke to various development sources, noting early on that, quote, new in-house standards that limit sexually explicit content distinguish Sony from other game hardware makers that allow more leeway as long as the software carries a rating from a national industry body, end quote. Sony told the journal that the publisher doesn't want gaming to, quote, inhibit the sound growth and development, end quote, of younger people playing in its ecosystem. Sony officials confirmed that it was growing increasingly concerned with sexual depiction in games from and often only for the Japanese market, which are lax, particularly when it comes to seemingly underage persons. That combined with the swelling movement surrounding the treatment of women over the last few years makes Sony feel like it could be a target. However, Sony no longer seems to be courting the creators of those games, which have long found their home on PS3, PS4, PSP, and Vita. Someone identified as a top executive at a Japanese dev told the newspaper that while they used to be li literally told how important they were to the breadth of games available, that's no longer the case. Quote, what they're saying to us is basically to go find a niche somewhere else, end quote. And since there are no firm rules, and since things have always seemed to be in flux, this is adding extra development costs and unseen hurdles for those making these types of games. Quote, you don't know what they will say until you complete the work and submit it for a review. And if they're not happy, even if they allowed the same degree of sexuality just a few days before, we need to take it back and ask our staff to make adjustments. That's very costly, end quote. An American Sony rep told the Wall Street Journal, quote, we don't have a criteria and written guidelines or that sort of thing because the policy was introduced kind of suddenly in the wake of the Me Too movement, end quote. That's so it's fascinating. It's fascinating just in the sense that all the conspiracy theories were true. Yeah, <laughs> that's so weird. What the hell? Sony really was and really has been and really is styming the ability of developers that make these these sexually more exp sexually explicit games from developing them on their platform anymore. Now, I'm all about like the, un you know, getting rid of the underage imagery and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. Yeah. But how far does it go? And it seems like these guys are underappreciated. And I've said before Taste is a ma is, is a subjective thing, I think. Oh, I think we sure. can all agree that like underage girls in a video game being scantily clad is in bad taste. And I don't blame Sony wanting to get away from that. I don't blame anyone wanting to get away from that. Yeah. But you still want to encourage, I think, a sexually explicit niche on the platform. And I, I've been of the mind that like I, I wish one of these platforms would allow AO and allow like actually pornographic games because why not? Like yeah. if you could you could maybe verify a person's age or, or lock it to a certain account or do whatever the case might be. I think there's a valuable place to explore there. But no one wants to deal with that. You know, it's just it's just super fascinating that it's the Me Too movement specifically, because like what what's a game going to like? You can't you can't accuse a game of anything. It's it, it seems weird that they would use that as a reason. I agree The the fan service, more perverted shit is obviously out there in droves. But yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen any data or really any indication in my time in the industry that people that play those games have a predilection to being violent or being sexual predators or anything like that. I've never seen that data. So the, I think that the, this makes a lot of assumptions. It's fun to make fun of the guys that, you know, play weeb games and play these perverted games, but they, yeah. play, they nonetheless play them and they're nonetheless legal. And so I, I, it is a little weird that Sony is like kind of creating a problem for itself that I don't think existed. I wonder who then is going to pick up the slack here. Steam and maybe Microsoft well, Steam's been uh, well Steam has its own thing where they're starting to crack down a little bit right well with that yeah with the rape I think we talked about that right that there was a game all about rape that they yeah, yeah. they finally drew a line with which I think is nice to know which where the is line fine is. yeah but yeah. like they, they historically have never drawn lines before so it's it's interesting that they're kind of getting into this weird kind of space probably to compete with Epic honestly.
I'm of the argument that this is a win to literally any other platform holder that wants to actually take advantage of the situation. Like if I were Microsoft or Nintendo, I'd be going to these guys and be like, we'll take your games. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, Nintendo yeah. certainly not. Well, <laughs> Nintendo will definitely not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Number eight, publisher Capcom has revealed that it too is getting into the retro hardware business, this time with its aptly named Capcom Home Arcade. The hardware, which is similar in style to the NES and SNES Classic, the PlayStation Classic, Sega various, gen various Genesis, Genesis offerings, etc., is basically a lengthy arcade-like joystick and button combination that allows for two players, and the following games will come bundled with it. 1944, Alien vs. Predator, Armored Warriors, Capcom Sports Club, Captain Commando, Cyberbots, Full Metal Madness, Darkstalkers, Echo, uh, Echo Fighters, Final Fight, Ghost and Ghouls, Giga Wing, Mega Man, The Power Battle, which is a great game, Pro Gear, Street Fighter 2, Hyper Fighting, Strider, and Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo. It's slated to launch on October 25th, though a European pre-order is all that's available as of the time we're recording. The price is also considerable. We only have a European price of 230 euro. So it is a very expensive unit. But from the pictures of it and from the construction of it, it seems very well made, like very meaty, something that I think Capcom collectors might be interested in. I'm not paying that much money for yeah, that no, thing, especially either. with that lineup of games. There's yeah, also that's a pretty underwhelming lineup. I wonder if it would be expandable. That would be interesting. Everything is expandable. Yeah, yeah, if you want to pirate it. But it would be interesting if they... If I wish one of these companies would bake that in. Yeah, for sure. I don't know like why they wouldn't, but... Number nine. Developer IO Interactive has revealed the 2019 content roadmap for its popular stealth game, Hitman 2. In the spring, players will get a new sniper map called Hantu Port, while in the summer, a new location called The Bank will be released. Finally, in the fall, players will get both a new sniper map called The Prison and a new location called The Resort. All four major updates come alongside outfits, missions, weapons, modes, or some combination therein, and it appears most, if not all, of this content will be locked behind the game's expansion pass. IO plans to announce more concrete details later in April. Number 10. The Paralympics is getting its first official video game. It's called the Pegasus Dream Tour, and it was announced by and is being developed in conjunction with the IPC, the International Paralympic Committee. The Pegasus Dream Tour is an RPG being developed by JP Games, a brand new studio under the leadership of none other, none other than Hajima Tabata, director of Final Fantasy XV. While not confirmed for launch on PlayStation hardware, the announcement makes note that the game will be available on a variety of hardware, so it's likely PS4 bound. The Paralympic Games was founded in 1960 and runs nearly parallel to the Winter and Summer Olympic Games. Its events are aimed at the physically disabled. So, so this is a game about the Paralympics? Yeah, so it's some sort of game. I was looking at it. I was looking at the art. There's no video of it yet. First of all, Tabata's in making this game, so that's really weird and interesting and cool. But I was looking at it. It seems like it's kind of like making superheroes out of Paralympic disabled athletes. Oh, cool. So it looks pretty cool. That's an interesting premise. Yeah. The art's a little underwhelming, but I, I do like that. I'm really into the premise as well. And I like that it's being made uh, in conjunction with the IPC. So we're about to be on the verge of getting all of our Tokyo Olympics games and stuff because that starts in 2020. So this is going to be another one of the games that comes out. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking a lot in, in, in the industry recently about disabilities and all that kind of stuff. It's good to support these kinds of causes. Yeah, definitely. Number 12 is a wrap up, Chris. We've gotten through the news. Activision has announced that its newly published from software developed game Sekiro Shadows Die Twice surpassed 2 million units sold in its first 10 days on the market. The PlayStation blog reports that Paper Beast from the creator of the classic adventure game Another World, which I fucking hate, I, I know. is coming to PSVR <laughs> later in 2019. And that so-called music action adventure game No Straight Roads is coming to PS4 later this spring. Eurogamer reports that recent rumors of an upcoming brand new Lego Star Wars games are true and that it might be a more ambitious game that attempts to tell the story of the entire new trilogy as a so-called ultimate Lego Star Wars title. 
Industry insider Jeff Keighley tweeted that Epic Games, the team behind the Unreal Engine, Fortnite, and the recently released Epic Game Store, and much more, has quietly hired Jason West, most prominently known as the co-founder of both Activision's Call of Duty developer Infinity Ward and EA-owned Titanfall developer Respawn Entertainment. Word from publisher Focus Home Interactive is that The Surge 2, the follow-up to the hardcore action RPG The Surge, which is free for PlayStation Plus users right now, will come out later this year on PlayStation 4, according to website Push Square. The website also reports that survival game Frostpunk is coming to PS4 later this year. Website Komatsu reports that previously announced Sniper Elite 2 re-release, Sniper Elite V2, will launch, or I'm sorry, that's the original Sniper Elite, this is Sniper Elite V2, will launch on PS4 on May 14th. That Yudawara Romano spinoff, Yudawara Romano Zan, Jesus which Christ. I know Chris thank, God I, thank Christ I didn't have to read that. It's coming to Western PS4s this fall via publisher NIS. That Super Neptunia RPG has been delayed from a spring release window to a summer one. That strategy RPG Fell Seal Arbiter's Mark is coming to PS4 on April 30th. And that the PS4 iteration of old school inspired action RPG Agelos will no longer happen on April 25th and will now happen at a later date. That is all of the news. That's a lot of news, man. Jesus. Now let's get into the new game releases, if we will. Is it a is it a meaty one? It's a pretty meaty one. There's one confusing thing on it I want to talk about as well, but I have no motivation otherwise. So you may go first or you may go second. You go first. I don't feel like reading another anniversary thing. Okay. Anniversary Collection Arcade Classics comes to PS4. Konami starts its 50th anniversary celebration with the first installment of the Anniversary Collection series of all-time classics. This includes eight arcade masterpieces of the 80s, from Nemesis to Haunted Castle, enhanced with modern features. Really looking forward to playing that one. Crossovers by Paugi comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Solve crossword puzzles one letter at a time. Crossovers are little crosswords with just one letter missing. Find the letters, then unscramble them to solve the cryptic clue. Crossovers by Paugi contains 200 cro- crossword clues and 200 terrible jokes as a reward, in quotes, uh, for solving each one. There you go. I like, that for you. I like that they're self-aware. Dark Quest 2 comes to PlayStation 4. Dark Quest 2 is a turn-based RPG where you control a party of heroes on your epic quest to defeat the evil sorcerer and his minions. Each map is designed to test your party's strength, courage, and sanity as you go deeper and deeper into the castle seeking the evil sorcerer. Ghost Giant comes to PSVR. As the Ghost Giant, you are the protector of, a, of the lonely little boy Lewis, who is in dire need of a helping hand. Build trust with Lewis by helping him overcome big or even gigantic obstacles. Discover Lewis's world, meet its eccentric inhabitants, and experience a heartwarming and sometimes heartbreaking story. I saw this. This actually looked pretty cool. Yeah. This reminded me of uh, Moss a little bit. Oh, cool. Yeah. Looks good. Well, sounds good. Then I'll have to look into it rather. Yeah. Anything that sounds like Moss is good to me. God's Trigger comes to PS4. Slay enemies with speed and precision in an over-the-top show of blood and explosions, dodging bullets and making split-second section de- decisions. Jesus Christ, had a little bit of a stroke there. Play solo or with others. When an angel and demon team up to kill their way into heaven and stop the apocalypse, bullets will fly and blood will be shed. Say bullets and blood a few more times. Jesus Christ. <laughs> bullets, blood, bullets. Did I mention the blood? <laughs> Heaven's Vault comes to PS4, an archaeological narrative adventure with an entire hieroglyphic language to decipher. Sail the rivers of space, explore lost moons, uncover ancient artifacts. That's spelled wrong, isn't it? I think it's spelled like the British spelling. So it's wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And piece together a 5,000-year-old secret. Every answer feeds into a story that adapts around your actions. Will you uncover the path to Heaven's Vault? Reminds me of Heaven's Gate, which I'm pretty sure was the people that killed themselves when the comet came by Earth. Oh, no. Remember that? I don't. Oh, yeah, it was in the 90s. You might not remember that. Yeah, I was Buddy Feed Isle. Iron Snout comes to PS4 and Vita. Once upon a time, pigs would have to build a house of bricks to keep the wolves at bay, but not anymore. 
In Iron Snout, it's Hero Piggy has taken up learning martial arts. And now it's the Wolves that need to take their distance. Or need to keep their distance because in this bonkers button mash beat-em-up, bacon is off the menu for good. That's a good write-up. It is pretty good, yeah. My time at Porsche comes to PS4. Start a new life in the enchanting town of Porsche. Restore your pa's neglected workshop to its former glory by fulfilling commissions, growing crops, raising animals, and befriending the quirky inhabitants of this charming post-apocalyptic land. Nurse Love Syndrome comes to Vita. Meet cheerful Kaori Sawai, fresh out of nursing school, as she joins Yugihama, I'm sorry, Yuri Gahama Hospital. Surviving a near-death experience as a child left her with a desire to become a nurse. Oh. All right. All righty. Our world is ended, <laughs> comes to PS4. Uh, a new masterpiece of narrative visual novel storytelling. Follow Judgment 7, a team of eccentric developers working on their latest game in augmented reality. On a summer's day, their AR headset lets them catch a glimpse of Tokyo in ruins. Could it really be the end of the world? Probably. Yeah, maybe. Path to Numasine comes to PS4. Relax, empty your mind, activate your senses, and immerse yourself into Path to Numasine. A hypnotic adventure created with an in, within an infinite zoom. Walk the path, explore your mind, and recover all lost memories by solving dozens of imaginative puzzles. Will you be able to reach the end of the path? Please don't touch anything. It just sounds like I'm ranting every time. <laughs> Please don't touch anything comes to PS4. It's a great uh, game. Covering for a colleague, you find yourself in front of a mysterious console with a green screen monitor. Uh, showing a pixelated live image of an unknown city. Also present is an ominous red button with the simple instruction to not touch anything. Go ahead. Press the button. You know you want to. It's interesting. Yeah. Quiver comes to PSVR. I don't like that word. Yeah. Like Quiver it. puts the power of the bow and arrow in your hands. Tasked with defending your keep and the power within from an ever-advancing enemy, you'll find yourself in a thrilling fight for your very survival. Snooker 19 comes to PS4. This is the most authentic simulation of the sport ever created. With TV-style presentation and commentary, true-to-life physics and advanced artificial intelligence. Choose from offline and online modes, from quick-play online matchmaking to global online tournaments that link in real time with the live world snooker calendar. What is, what is snooker? Snooker, I think, is a, is a billiard game. I don't like that. And what's weird about this is that there is another snooker game <laughs> being released the same week. Snooker Nation Championship comes to PS4. Challenge the best snooker players in the world to take home that all-important win. The offline tournament includes competing in the qualifiers through to the grand final, played on championship specification tables, or challenge players online. Snooker Nation Championship is digital snooker at its best. Talk about not giving a fuck about who's releasing anything on your console. That is embarrassing. If I was, I'm not even trying to be facetious because obviously people want to play these kinds of games. If I were a developer of one of these games, I'd be like, are you guys kidding? Like you couldn't tell us that we're releasing the same week as a competitor when there's no games like this on your platform. You couldn't have let us go later. You couldn't have given us a heads up maybe to go earlier and spread these games out. You care that little. It is pretty wild. The, the snook, what a specific, that's the first time I've ever heard that word in my life. Yeah, it's like a very specific billiard game, I think. That's probably, I think, popular in Europe, but... I just couldn't believe that. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. You know, by the way, before we get any further, th so they do that. And you know what else is not in this list on, on the PlayStation blog? Fucking Dreams is not even in here at all. Uh, Can you imagine just the complete insane in insanity oh my of God. all of this? This is You wild. don't put Dreams in the list that's coming out this week. And then you put two snooker games out the same day. <laughs> I don't know. The little things like that, it just makes me feel bad for some of these developers. Yeah, like, no, no one's communicating fucked. with them. 
now they're gonna now they have to compete with each other like they're gonna compete with each other anyway but it, i don't know it's just i feel like it's disrespectful it's it's really bizarre yeah it's also I, kind of really unprofessional i agree anyway we're on to you table of tales the crooked crown comes to psvr embark on a digital tabletop rpg a virtual reality adventure of swashbuckling and sorcery i like that word swashbuckling swash it's not used enough no it's not take a seat at a mysterious table and unlock its true potential as a magical living board game Take the helm and lead your party of scoundrels through the realms of adventure, investigating the misdeeds of their past and facing up to terrible dangers. Tarot Readings Premium comes to PS4. The Tarot Reading is a pack of playing cards used in parallel for divination in the form of Tarology and cat and Cartomancy. Our game makes you feel like you are visiting a real gypsy tarot reader. She will shuffle the cards, let you choose them, and then present them and explain their meaning. All 78 cards are animated. Truber Brook comes to PS4, uh, enjoy an adventurous vacation to a 1960s parallel universe, a thrilling sci-fi mystery adventure game that takes place at a remote village in rural Germany. This is an interesting setup. Mm. You won the trip in a lottery, or at least that's how it seems, but instead of getting some rest, you could find yourself having to save the world. Mm. As always. As always, yeah. <laughs> I like that setup, though. World of Warships Legends comes to PlayStation 4. Experience epic naval action in World of Warships Legends, a global multiplayer free-to-play online game where you can master the seas in history's greatest warships. Recruit legendary commanders, upgrade your vessels, and stake your claim to naval supremacy. World War Z comes to PS4. Humanity is on the brink of extinction from New York to Moscow and Jerusalem. The undead apocalypse continues to spread. As the end looms, a hardened few band together to defeat the horde and outlive the dead. World War Z is a heart-pounding co-op third-person shooter featuring swarms of hundreds of zombies. Again, you'll remember this comes from Saber Interactive, and you'll remember that they originally pitched this as Days Gone's multiplayer, multiplayer mode, or that they could at least do a multiplayer mode similar to World War Z. This game is supposed to be pretty good, but I don't know for sure. People are talking somewhat positively about it, so That's we'll see. Interesting. You'll have to look into it. Don't take my word for it. Uh, we in the shall see, then. Of Reading Rainbow. Chris, let's end as we always do with Reader Mail. Is that a reading rainbow reference? Yeah, that's what that was. Under your breath, like subtly. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that was. I didn't want anyone to hear it. We got to get Levar Burton on the podcast. I would love to get Levar Burton on the podcast. He was. What was he involved in? Oh yeah, didn't they have him when they released Ubisoft? Did that Star Trek PSVR game? He was like on stage or something at E3, as I recall. I think so. Yeah, that's the last time I saw him. How do you ever see through those glasses? I'll never understand it. Usually we end with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from our Patreon audience. This week I wanted to end with four because we use so many questions in. The news, and I yeah. don't want the episode to go longer than people want it to go. For sure. Brian Borlaug wrote into us and said, Hey, CNC, Dangerous Driving came out last week. Chris played it. He likes it. Yeah. And while it's not an, as amazing as I'd hoped, seeing it as, a, as it's an indie budget and not a AAA budget game, it's still a lot of fun. They put out a Spotify playlist for playing in lieu of spending money on music rights. What do you guys think about games doing this? I think it's awesome because I'd rather just be able to put something on and have the devs spend money elsewhere. Meanwhile, I can still have the songs they've suggested playing in the background thanks to the PS4 Spotify app. I love Burnout's old soundtracks, and I think this is a cool loophole for smaller devs. Either way, thanks for the content and keep on being awesome. How does this strike you? I thought it was really cool. Like, that was such a smart way around <laughs> around licensing. No, I, I really liked it. That was one of the one of the things. I didn't know about it when I uh, talked about it last time, uh, but I, I played it a little bit since. And like the second I found it, I was like, oh, shit, that's such a good idea. Just the fact that you could have Spotify and the fact that, you know, like a lot of those older games are kind of defined by their unique selection of music, especially when I think of like Tony Hawk games. These are 90s punk <laughs> soundtracks for uh, for just like enjoying. But like the fact that they suggest songs for you is a really good loophole. I think it's it's super cool. I like it. 
at first I agreed with you. And I, I, I listen, there's no doubt that But also you could just play Spotify like on your computer or your phone or like whatever. You right. don't need it to run through the game. Right. Of course, there is that. Right. But I also think I was just thinking about it more. I'm like, OK, that's a really cool loophole. That's a really clever thing to do for a small studio that's strapped with, you know, doesn't have a lot of money, really needs to use its resources elsewhere. But I was looking at it from the other end where I'm like, it's kind of fucked up because musicians are in a position these days where they're getting paid a lot less, where even Spotify isn't really treating them very well. Yeah. It's hard to extract value out of your art. And I think that one of the most reliable ways in this cross section of the way art intersects is for one artist to respect the art of another artist. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even though the guys behind dangerous driving figured out a cool loophole, it's still somewhat fucked up because oh, for sure <laughs> they didn't pay the licensing fee to these guys. So they're basically saying like, this is the music that encapsulates the feeling we want in our game. We're not going to pay the licensing fees. Just go on Spotify and use Spotify, use this very specific playlist, plug it in. And then we don't have to pay anyone. And to me, I'm like, okay, that's cool. I, I dig that. I think it's really quite clever, but I still feel like it's not the right way. I don't want to see more developers do this because it alienates and isolates musicians and composers that still also need to be paid. Oh, for sure. You well, I, I would look at it like if a game, if EA and, and, and like Bioware did something like this, I feel like it'd be a bit egregious. But I think because it's a smaller like indie team, licensing is insane. I've looked at like a lot of licensing things myself and I'm like, I'd rather just cover it with bongos. <laughs> you know what I right. mean? It's, it's insane. Uh, so for like indie devs, I think it's kind of a neat, and especially because this isn't like a super common practice at all. Uh, so I think, you know, whatever you can do to make your game, uh, you know, function the way you want it to function. If you're a small studio, you know, you got to it's it's they're kind of in the same boat, really. It's like they're just trying to make a thing. Yeah, it it's true. It's, it's absolutely true. I do think the but one I do agree that it is a bit if if it was like a bigger studio doing this, it'd be a whoa. You're like, what are you doing? Well, it's like one of those situations where I'm like, uh, I don't know what comes to mind for me is like when you see people going to like going to Target or whatever and taking advantage of a misprint to get PlayStation 4 for like 50 bucks or whatever. And I'm like, OK, that's cool. But you're kind of stealing it based on. Yeah. You know, the. They didn't mean to do that. You know they didn't mean to do that. You know they paid less for that than that. You're kind of taking advantage of a loophole, and it doesn't make it right. I guess that's kind of what I'm saying. It might be fine. Yeah, it might yeah. be clever. You might feel good about it. But I think what will be interesting, Chris, is if other indie devs are inspired by it. And the cool thing that it ameliorates from the entire situation is all this tough licensing issues or these tough licensing issues that seem to stop games from coming out in the future. Like when Crazy Taxi came to PS3, they just took all the music out. That sucks. Right? Wait, they took all the music out? Yeah, like it's, it's, they, because they, what is it silent? I think it was like, you know, bootleg versions or, you know, just different music, whatever it was. Oh, weird. So, I didn't know that. Because, you know, the offspring's in there and whoever else is in there. And so I always look at it as like, well, at least they're able to kind of circumvent that. They'll never have to worry about that with dangerous driving, which is one less thing to worry about. But I still don't want to see this become the norm. But I agree with you. If you're a small de dev, I guess it's the only way around it. Sergey wrote into us, or Sergey, he said, hello from Russia, Colin and Chris. Thank you very much for your content. You're very welcome. I am enjoying it a lot. I've been listening to your podcast since beyond on IGN, but this is the first time I've decided to submit a question. I'm 31 and I grew up playing single player games. Recent articles regarding Anthem development and its follow up about Dragon Age 4 got me really sad. 
BioRare was one of the favorite one of my favorite developers with games like Baldur's Gate 2 and the original Dragon Age among my favorites. In the article, we are told that development teams felt that Anthem was moving in the wrong direction and Dragon Age 4 was canceled due to it being single player focused. This got me thinking why the management of big companies are chasing multiplayer games so much and abandoning single player games. P.S. Sorry for any grammar mistakes. English is obviously not my primary language. It's all right, Sergey. We got through it and you speak English probably better than I do. Yeah, fact. both of us probably. So I wanted to bring this up, Sergey's question, because I really do feel like we're getting a little bit crazy with the single player games are dying thing at this point. Yeah. This we have a ton of them. I just don't see how you can look around and feel this way, even if you feel, you know, and I understand Sergey's point about like he likes the specific developer from the specific publisher and they're in trouble and that might affect their ability to manufacture those games in the future. But this general feeling that single player games are going away is insane. Like, it's just not true. It was and it did at least feel true for a little while years ago, but it doesn't feel that way anymore. And so I want people to be grounded a little bit more in the reality that we're getting everything you can possibly imagine. There are too many games. You're never going to play them all. And there's always going to be something that I think is going to be right up your alley at any given time. So I don't want Sergey over in Russia to be worried. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a big deal. I think we're getting a ton of fantastic games. Single player. I mean, Star Wars. We're getting a new Star Wars single player game by Respawn. Like what? That's wild. <laughs> like that's not something that I would have ever assumed it's, would happen. It's awesome, man. And of course, we're all we've also gotten this huge litany of single player PlayStation Four exclusives. Yeah, ranging from you know mo you know I guess most recently, or I guess we were going to expect the Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Tsushima. We'll get those later, but we've gotten God of War and we've gotten Spider Man and we've gotten Detroit Become Human and we're getting Days Gone and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So we're getting just, a bunch of Bethesda. We're getting Rage Two. We're getting two Doom games so far. Right, Sekiro just came out. The Metro game just came out. Yeah. Guys, there's a lot of single player games. Prey, I, Prey didn't grab me the same way it grabbed a lot of people, but Prey, Prey was fantastic, apparently, according to a lot of people. So, like, we're, we're getting a lot of great games. Yeah. So, don't, don't, do not fret. Yeah. Fret not. not. Yeah, exactly. Fret not. Thank you for your question, Sergey. Dylan Michael wrote into us and said, Greetings, Colleen and Christine. Oh, I don't like that one. Well, maybe we are women now. Well, no. After trying Metro 2033 and Halo Combat Evolved, I could not find a first-person single, a first-person shooter single-player game that gripped me. And then I purchased Doom for the PS4, and well, Chris, you are right for speaking so often about it. The gameplay is masterful, and I've never seen a game pull off old-school and modern design together so well. Do you guys believe that the video game industry is too caught up in being art or being respected like cinema and television? Are games like Doom holding back the Hollywood-esque trajectory the gaming industry has been on? I feel like Doom knows exactly what it is, an endless buffet of fast-paced action. The story feels almost irrelevant. It's not trying to be art or even respected by people outside the industry. Maybe that's just me. I wish more AAA games today would follow that philosophy of having a simple story be an excuse to play, rather than having gameplay be a means to see more story. Maybe I'm just a grump. Love you guys. Chris, I wanted you to take this one. Yeah. It's because just, you talk about this a victories. lot. You talk about this a lot. That Doom is a video game first. It's a shooter first. It's really, you know, not supposed to be about anything else. It feels very else. proud of what it is. Right. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that it doesn't feel the need to lure me in with this melodramatic cutscene of, you know, Doom guy holding his rabbit and it getting shot or something and he's crying and then 10 years later he's grizzled and like, you know, I, I like that stuff when it works, but like more oftentimes it kind of doesn't it's really hard to pull off good drama or good storytelling in a lot of games like without falling back to like kind of like text style rpg stuff so the fact that doom is just like hey you know you start off and you kill demons and you kill demons for the rest of the game and that's it it's fun and it's well designed it's great 
So uh, it's, you know, I don't know. I've been singing its praises for ages, but at this point, it's like a meme. Right. No, <laughs> and it's not like a meme. It is a meme. Yeah. But to me, Chris, I look at Doom 2016 Doom, which I know you're very fond of and I like, too. I kind of push back on this notion that there's no story in it. Like, I feel like. Oh, there's story. Yeah. In it. like, it's I just, feel like it's I, just it gets out of your way. It lets you right. kind of experience it if you want it. Like, if you want it, it's there. There's enough there to keep you going, to let you know what you're doing and what you're supposed to be going up against and all that stuff. But the codec is, like, super intricate and super well detailed. There's a lot of writing in Doom that you don't notice. And I think that's kind of good because it gives you, like, this kind of, like, let's say you play it now and then, like, five years later, you're just like, oh, I wonder what's what how this game holds up and then you read all this codex stuff that you missed the first time. It's like, whoa, this is awesome. The lore of Doom is actually super cool. Yeah, it's great. I think it's cool, too. Yeah. And so I always like to push back on this idea that some people feel, I guess you don't feel it, but that some people feel like this game is just like devoid of any plot. It's just, you know, you just shoot things. I'm like, well, I don't know that that's been ever true in that series, no. actually. I just think it's uh, it indulges in the fact that it's a video game and it, it lets the story get out of your way and lets you breathe and lets you go about it of your own volition. And I like that. I respect that. Now, he does say something interesting. Dylan says something interesting here, Chris, that I wanted to talk deeper about. He says... Are we all too caught up in video games being art? And he puts that in quotes. Uh, Doom is a piece of art, too. And I think that we can look at we we look at art as too literal or the final product. Right. So it's easy to look at a video game and be like, well, there's art and there's sound design and there's this aesthetic. And so it's art. But the gameplay of Doom is the most artful part of it. And that's art. Like being able to design something like that is art. It's a movement. It's almost like playing an instrument. When, yeah, it, when a game sure. feels proper like that. And so being able to design that kind of gameplay, that fluidity, that gunplay, the time to fire is really short. The time in between firing is really short. So there's always action. That's that in itself is a design aesthetic that is its own form of art. And so I look at it as being a really high art form. I think Doom is more of a piece of art than a lot of art games. And it's an art game because, like Chris said, it really has no pretensions. It's not trying to be anything than what it is. It's a beautiful, fluidly running, fast-paced arcade shooter. But I will caution against wanting only, and I'm not saying you're saying this, but but more in the, the inquiry we got from, from Dylan in saying, like, are we too caught up in this? Do we want more of these games? I think the reason Doom is so special is because there's not a lot of these kinds of games. No, exactly. And so I don't think you want Doom every month. I, I personally don't think that. No. I think you want Doom like every year, every two years. I think that if Doom could have story and actually like more story and actually immerse you more, I think that that wouldn't hurt the game necessarily either. That's like my opinion. Like if they wanted to make that like a really serious Gears of War type game where it has like these big set pieces and then this this exposition and shit like that, I, that personally wouldn't have hurt the experience for me because the game was still really fun to play. For sure. So I think you can have it both, both ways. Yeah. Personally. No, I think you're right. Like, I'd love to see Doom Eternal have more narrative. I don't think that that would hurt it. I don't think it's going to. I wouldn't mind more narrative. I just, I hope that they avoid, I've never liked having control ripped away from me. I don't, especially in first person games, it's so jarring. Like, every time you press a button and then you like, your character like slides over and then like his hands come up and he's like, ah, I hate this. I think Half-Life and Bioshock do it tremendously, actually. If more FPSs would tell their stories the way Half-Life and Bioshock do, we'd have some of the best, we, oh my God. It would be excellent. Yeah, because it doesn't get in your way. It lets you just kind of like go about it and it doesn't rip control away from you. It doesn't force you down this weird. I don't know. I I, I miss uh, I do miss that kind of style as opposed to just like this weird, like detached cutscene kind of deal. But Doom didn't really do that either. So, no, it didn't. 
I always love the intro of Doom 2 where you're just getting up and like basically getting your, like you it's almost comical in how you get into the game. Yeah. It's about it's about immersing yourself as much as you want in whatever lore is there. But it's so cool. It's yeah, such a good out. like opening like sequence. It's just black screen with a rune and this awesome voice actor. And all those like rune stones that you touch and like the demons are like talking about you like you're like the devil, which is hilarious. It's it's so good. That game's hilarious also. It's a funny game. I got to go back. I mean, we have time cuz I think Doom Eternal is going to come out this year, but we have time yet and i want to go back i never actually beat doom i got like really it's one of those games where i like was almost at the end and then i'm like i gotta go do something else and then i never yeah, went yeah, back I to it and i was also very meticulously collecting everything and just being like nerdy I did, I did the same so i never got to the very end of it so i need to play it again but i i will say that we're just getting too caught up in i think segmenting the way we talk about video games and silos when really the the desire we should have at the end is is to get the silos to cooperate with each other as much as possible to have amazing gameplay in every game Right. Yeah. To have storytelling in every game, if it makes sense to have beautiful graphics or graphics that lend to the story or lend to the gameplay where it makes sense. We have to talk about how these things lift each other up. Right. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think what he's talking about is it speaks more to just like the fact that if a game isn't showing you like if a game isn't putting you on this in this situation where you're watching a scene play out and it's dramatically acted and there's not an amazing score behind it i feel like there's there's this pretense in the industry to kind of view it as kind of a lesser right experience because it's like oh well what where what are these characters and it's like that's true it's a different style of telling a story that's true you're um, absolutely it's right. just as valid and sometimes often better uh, i mean i'll talk about half-life again like the way half-life tells its story is fantastic because it's entirely missable if you're not paying attention and that's your that's on you right you know and it's your, your enjoyment the, of the story depends entirely on you it's similar to bioshock in that way yeah. like w- people really do insult like the collectathons and the you know you're finding documents or you're getting audio diaries but bioshock's audio diary kind of approach was brilliant because it allowed you to play the game you found an audio diary in an area where it made sense and so as you were slinking around and, and environmentally exploring there was someone talking to you about something that was relevant where you weren't reading it, you didn't have to be in a menu. Killzone Shadowfall actually did a similar thing where they let you play the game. The The voice acting actually came through the speaker, which I thought in Shadowfall was actually kind of cool too because it made it feel like you were holding the audio diary. Yeah. But So I like I like when games have exposition and still let you play, right? I don't want to stop in, 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 in Uncharted. You stop and you examine the treasure, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. not fun it, to me. It's annoying. Right. It happens sometimes in Bioshock 2, but like, you know, for the most part, it's just a f- beautiful narrative experience. The final question for this week, Chris, comes from Baker Shoppes, who said, Hey, CNC, I thought I'd bring up an interesting topic surrounding PSVR. Remember back in the day hopping in AOL and MSN chat rooms and talking? Well, now there are VR chat rooms and one currently popular VR chat. There's many videos of people picking avatars, talking and having fun, socializing. This is personal, but I am 25 years old and I'm confident in saying that I am a hermit. I work my eight hour shift, come home, game, sleep, repeat. I've lost the ability to reconnect with people, let alone strangers. But after many years of just being a hermit, sometimes you just want to make new friends with similar aspects. Easier said than done. So with that, do you guys think that PlayStation should place a similar VR chat room experience on their store? Perhaps a rebirth of PlayStation Home or something better. What are your thoughts? Thanks. This is pretty interesting. I think we probably have a lot of people like minded people listening to the show, and I'm not saying that as an insult. I, too, am a hermit. It is interesting that video games give us this opportunity to communicate and relate to people that share our similar interests, but also might have our similar weird quirks of wanting to be in front of a TV or wanting to be alone yeah. or wanting to have <laughs> headphones on. So there is something to what he's saying. I think Sony would probably be hesitant to do it because of all the 
unknown shit that it introduces into the ecosystem. People being perverted. Yeah. And it was yeah. actually very similar. I remember when remember when PlayStation 4 first launched and everyone was streaming from their console and I remember people were streaming like fucking each other and like all oh, sorts yeah. of crazy shit in the beginning. <laughs> I forgot. And about you that. kind of like have to re rein it in a little bit. Yeah, and, VR chat yeah. specifically, like uh, if he's refer- if we're, if he's referencing VR chat on, on PC, which I'm pretty sure he is, that's <laughs> that that entire experience is kind of made by the fact that people can just kind of make whatever models they want because it's the PC community, so they can just upload a model, whatever it is. Sometimes it's like 2D image of Joe Rogan's face, or sometimes it's just like a really highly detailed naked woman, and there's no way of really. Not censoring that, but like reining that into an acceptable degree, especially for like Sony as a platform on PlayStation, where there's definitely going to be kids playing it. I think a VR chat could work, but I don't know. Did it really? Did it work with PlayStation Home? That was kind of like the first VR chat on console. Kind of it wasn't VR, but it's kind of the same premise. Yeah, PlayStation Home actually was in a weird way a little bit ahead of its time. I think in the oh, sense sure. that it it tried. Like there was cool stuff in it's there. It's a social hub. Yeah, exactly. Like, which is in a lot of games now. Right. So I don't know that, you know, they own that IP. I don't know that it really, you know, resonates with people. And, and it might even have some bad connotations with a lot of like longtime PlayStation gamers. But I like what he's saying. I, I think having a social space for gamers to meet up in the ecosystem could be really positive. Not only yeah. to meet others to play similar games, but maybe you make real friends. And maybe this is the way that a lot of hardcore gamers make friends because we, we are all similar. And I, I don't know that there are many hardcore gamers out there that are socialites, that are many hardcore gamers out yeah. there that are you know, social butterflies that like to go out to the bars that meet lots of women or men or whoever or friends and stuff like that. I just maybe there are some, but I think that to be a hardcore gamer to invest dozens of hours a week into playing games that requires social that's that has social consequences that maybe Sony could help rectify. I don't know. It would be you know what kind of makes me sad about this, though, is that like the the desire for a dedicated social hub to meet people where it's like it used to be that games were that thing. But now because like Discord exists and like Skype exists and like party chat became a thing and like people just kind of grew kind of more insular to their already pre-existing groups of friends or just stayed off the mic by themselves. The fact that people don't talk over mics anymore is kind of sad because like I met so many great people playing online video games that I still talk to to this day. That's it's like vague. That's kind of sad to me that we need like a dedicated thing for it. Party chat's always been interesting to me, too, because I remember that came to PS4 and people were so excited and I was always like, why would you want to talk to other people playing other games? Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. But like, I, that's the one thing where I like, I can never identify. I remember that being the I one. I loved it, man. It I remember so that good. being a feature, though, where people were like so excited about it. It was the one thing where I was like, I can't relate to. For party to, chat? Yeah. Like, well, for party it. chat, it was specifically was just so like you could talk to your friends and they could be playing right, right. whatever the fuck they wanted. Right. You didn't, have, you didn't have to talk to the people in the game. Right. I don't want to talk to my friends. I love talking. Don't call me. I loved the hell out of talking to people in the games. You'd come across some the, the weirdest people. But some of them were so cool. It was awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of really funny videos. I don't know. Maybe they still go around, but just the shit people used to say to each other, as we've said in this show, in the lobbies and in the games. And <laughs> yeah. there's like so many videos on YouTube of like people just losing their minds and stuff. It's I've really had, funny. I've had so many, like more than I can count, so many experiences with like just you're in the pregame lobby and you're like talking shit and you're just screaming like, ah, fuck yeah. And then after the game, it's like, good game, guys. <laughs> it's just like, what? What is this? A little gamesmanship, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a lot of gamesmanship. Well, Chris, that's all I have for this episode. Of well, that's a lot. Of, it's Symbols. a hell of an all. That's a, it's a pretty meaty episode. Lots of Sony exclusive news for yeah. our audience this week. Lots of first party stuff. PlayStation 5. Very exciting. We hope you all enjoyed the show. Remember, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand if you want early ad free access to all episodes of Sacred Symbols, as well as my other content, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show and, of course, exclusive podcasts, etc. 
Your support over there is essential and we really appreciate it. If you want to be freeloaders, that's okay too. Listen to us on free feeds, but please leave us nice reviews. Let your friends, family, and all the rest, not your enemies, but your <laughs> friends and family know about the might, the majesty, and the wonder of all things Collins Last Stand. Chris, just to reiterate, we will do an episode on time next week. Yeah. I think we've kind of decided that. Again, if you've skipped over the beginning of the episode or something, Days Gone's embargo kind of falls at a weird time where we were thinking about making the episode late. But what we will instead do is do a normal episode. And then the next week we will put out a normal episode and we will put out a spoiler cast slash review discussion on Days Gone. So you guys will have all of that. You'll basically yeah. have an episode dedicated to Days Gone. And you'll and, have time to play it. So right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So no spoilers and stuff like that. But we will at the beginning. So what I'll try to do for the Days Gone discussion, and I'll say it at the top, is Maybe we'll discuss it for a few minutes in a spoiler-free way. Then we'll tell you to go away. Then we'll discuss it in a more deeper way. You can come back to the uh, the audio file when it's most convenient for you. Remember, embargo is on April 25th, and the game comes out on April 26th. It's a big release. Yeah. We've been waiting for it for I'm a very long time. I'm excited to talk about it. I have a lot that I want to talk about. I do also have a lot I want to talk about. So, Chris, that's it. That's it? Let's get the hell out of here. Thank you guys so much out there for listening to Sacred Symbols and for supporting us. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Carlos Algarit, Eric Alley, CJ Anderson, George Anthony Nunez, Morgan Ashley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Daniel Delanicos, Mitchell Durkash, Night Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Candler Four, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gassian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Gotham Algonam, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Joshua Jonathan, Greg Julefs, NK, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartland, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Midling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Ryan Murdoch, Brian Nietzsche, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Renner, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Glennon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, Daniel Strycharsk, John Temanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Alan Tremblay, Raymond Joshua Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Hugo's Desk, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Throw 7, Infinite, Homeworld Hub, Mad Mock Media, Fabian, Mubarak, Richter86, That Rescue Guy, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Donk2015, and Gavin. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.